tricks. But the haters still troll. I love how I troll. I love how I troll. I love how I troll. Yep. You have a new mic, so you can go talk and um, explain how this is the greatest. Oh, no, it's just ever. nice because, you know, for the last few years, I've been using a handheld mic. A lot of people joke to say it looked like a karaoke mic. It probably is, to be honest with you. I thought uh, this was a Dirk Nowitzki thing. Like, you preferred to do it that way. No, I didn't I didn't have a stand or anything. So, I mean, I just had to do it. So, now I got, uh, we upgraded the mic, but also I got a, a boom arm. And so now I feel very professional, like I'm in a studio. And I don't have to hold the mic. It just hangs. And then I can do things like, talk all the way over here off the mic and then come back over here and it's all cool. And then the other thing I did was I, I finally invested in some noise canceling Bluetooth headphones, which means if I ever have to get up, uh, as I will in a little bit when these delivery people get here, I can keep up with the conversation uh, as opposed to oh. back, back when I was wired, I had to just stay, sit still. So good times, good times in the studio. Behind the scenes. That voice you hear is Sam Amick from The Athletic, senior writer, national reporter for The Athletic. Welcome to The Haver Show. You're back. Um, and I uh, I miss you, buddy. It's just kind of like the, the thing that we do in the NBA circles where with the COVID shutdown, we haven't seen each other in a long, long time. But uh, I miss you, and I'm so glad you're on the show. I miss you too, my friend. Sam, you, my guy. I mean, it is funny that I know everybody in their industries is going through the same thing, but you know, we run in tight circles in normal times. And so typically it's going to be no more than six weeks or eight weeks between in-person visits. And uh, you guys are on a, a long list of folks that I look forward to seeing again when we get back to some version of normalcy. But thank you for having me. Happy holidays to you both. Hope you all are hanging in. This is the Haber Show pod relaunch. So, uh, Sam, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. Um, it's great to have you on. But... You are based in Sacramento, and I want to say that all the awards – it's award season picks time, so like all the outlets are making their picks for the awards this upcoming NBA okay. season as the NBA kicks off this year. And I'm I'm noticing not a lot of people are picking De'Aaron Fox for MVP this year, but after what <laughs> transpired over the weekend, I think that's a poor choice because Amin El-Hassan on the jump last week – lit a fire underneath De'Aaron Fox. And I don't know, are you changing your vote for MVP this season based on Amin El-Hassan yeah. uh, throwing shade at De'Aaron Fox and now is going to propel his MVP campaign for the Kings? I, I mean, listen, you know I love my guy. I mean, uh, not De'Aaron, I mean. But I don't know. I don't know. I got to wait and see <laughs> if, if Amin's got that kind of juice. You know, I, I know he's got juice. I remember him back. I, I can be, I'm winning that, you know, the people who can say I knew you back when. I mean, and the juice level has gone up, but do you have enough to get De'Aaron, who is a still an up-and-coming, incredibly talented player who's accomplished a bit in this league but has a long ways to go? Can you get him to MVP levels? I mean, maybe, you know, kind of all-star snub levels, I think, is doable. But I don't know about MVP, Tom. I think that might be a little much. Mm. Sam Tropicana ain't got enough juice for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Look. Like you said, he's a, he's a, he's a nice little exciting up and coming player, um, and he, he just was rewarded massively financially. So shout out to him and his family; they're gonna be taken care and of. Their forever. families and their but families. the reality, yeah. 
And it, absolutely. And, and that's a beautiful no thing. Doubt. But the reality is, I didn't say, I mean, you know, players, even media people, we go through our days hearing a hundred times worse stuff in our mentions, in our DMs, et cetera, et cetera. The fact that everybody, starting with him and everyone down who lives in that part of the world, would be fainting and clutching pearls that I just said that he's not as good as he thinks he is. I mean, it just tells you how far we've come as far as from a sensitivity standpoint. I, I didn't say he was garbage. I didn't say he was a bum, a bust. I didn't say he was a bad person. All I said was, John Morant is what De'Aaron Fox thinks he is. And that's not about literally De'Aaron Fox looking in the mirror and saying, I am John Morant. I'm just saying the way the way I perceive John Morant's talent and trajectory in this league is what I think De'Aaron Fox thinks is his trajectory, but I, I don't see it happening. Uh, I don't see him being an all-NBA player. I don't see him being an all-star. And, you know, the last time I had this kind of uh, back, to, back, back and forth with a city was, I think, Cleveland. But the difference is Cleveland had LeBron James, and Cleveland was going to the finals every year. And so no matter what I said about Cleveland, I said a lot of things about the city of Cleveland. At the end of the day, all those people said, yeah, but you still got to come back here in June. And I'm like, yeah, you got me there. That's part, part and parcel of why I was so irritated by them. It's like, because I have to come back. But Sacramento, people are like, you own better, better, never step foot in Golden One. I'm like, why would I step foot in Golden? For what? It's a really is nice there, arena. Is there a Star Wars yeah. uh, festival happening oh. up there? Because I literally have no reason to ever go I love go that to that's number one on your list of reasons to go places. I didn't know that part of you. I mean, that's pretty great. I, I, a, pl- a place that, no, I'm just saying a place. It's not. I, it ain't go because of the playoffs are there. It definitely won't be because they're playing there in June. And, so, and so if what you are we come, listen, about? maybe the Warriors are going to have to get relocated. Come have know. dinner at the Amick household. Not everybody's uh, sideways with you out here in, in Sacktown. I mean, yes. Oh, thank you. Thank oh, wait, you. they might come out yeah, to you now, Sam, for opening up your doors yeah. to the to enemy, Amin, the traitor. Um, wait, so yeah. let's let's back up here. I mean. So it's a it's a an innocuous it's not like a slander deer and fox hour on the jump it was just a John Morant highlight reel that so, you guys were talking about John Morant and then the, you slipped that in right the segment is called make or miss it's twenty four seconds rapid fire there's a question answer the question because it's twenty four seconds like to me analysis is kind of silly in those moments really it's about like let's have some fun. Make a couple of jokes, whatever. And by the way, that's a joke I've done many a time about many people. And Rachel always reacts the same way. Talk about somewhere he's on a training table, somewhere he's at home. Kind of say, oh, let me see what the jump is talking about. And then he hears you say this. That is a recurring bit that we've done on that show. Uh, and it's like it's all good natured. I mean, obviously, at the heart of it, I do believe John Moran is a better player than De'Aaron Fox. But the phrasing of it is... I mean, it's, it's a basketball show. You think I'm going to talk about one person at a time? Yeah, like we, I bring in other things. I bring in other things. So it was to me, if the whole clip is like 
of me talking is maybe 10 seconds. Me talking and Rachel responding and, and Paul groaning. Right? And then we move on. And I like I didn't think anything of it. I didn't even think it was going to be a, a thing. But, you know, if you are invested in Sacramento Kings basketball, right, and you never get any sort of national recognition, right, I'll be honest, we don't. The one segment we do on the jump call is called As the right. Kings Turn, and it's usually when something awful has happened, right? And that doesn't, even then, it's not like we're doing this every week. I mean, it's got to be, you know, escalate to the levels of bumping something more important, a.k.a. winning basketball teams off the budget. So I get why it got aggregated. My question is, why are you so set? I mean, like, feel free to be sensitive, but does that really feel like a healthy lifestyle for someone who lives in the public eye? Because again, in the grand scheme of things, the awful things said about players, about coaches, about front office people, and yes, about media people on a daily basis. This ain't the business for you to be catching feelings. Dare I say it, it was the bitch that caught the feelings, not the man that you call the bitch. And I'm not calling him a bitch. I'm just saying. Like, Maybe your behavior <laughs> is commiserate with one who is extremely sensitive. I didn't know, I mean, that you guys did that kind of structure and segment on the regular. And I wonder, A, the thought that crossed my mind was, do you know what other examples come to mind? And B, like, has anybody ever reacted at all to that, that, that framing? You it's, know, I'm, I, I mean is, you know, who so-and-so yeah. thinks he is, whatever. Anything else like this at all? Yeah. So, so by the way, it's not structured because we're, we just have great chemistry on that show. So it's, it's a bit in the same way that whenever Ethan would say, I'm not a doctor, we'd all say, I'm not a doctor. Like we just yell it out. Right. Because it's all playing off of one another. Right. And, and having that sense of humor of the moment in the same way that uh, Chuck would sometimes say things like, oh, Mark West is rolling over in his grave, right? As he's reacting to something that was said about a team that Mark West played for. Maybe the Suns, maybe the Cavs, whatever. So it's it's not structured, but it is like a bit that we've done before. And it's, I'm, not, I'm not, hey, Rachel, I'm going to say this. And then you, no, she's just reacting, but she reacts because she knows the right. flow of the joke. Uh, has anyone ever responded? No, no. Now, now, I've had players reach out to me for various different reasons over, over the years, some hostile, some not. I had a player, I'm not going to say his name, who in my DMs said, you think it's funny? We'll see how funny it is when I run into you in the streets in LA this, this summer. And that player was going through a tough thing and I had been on TV but I didn't say anything about it. So I was like, yo, what did I say? He said, you know what you said. I said, no, I don't. Tell me what I said. He said, I, I, I don't have to da-da-da. And once he kind of like dodged around, I was like, oh, so you really don't know what I said. Someone told right, you, right, right. hey, man, this dude said this about you. So I said, I looked at the schedule. I said, you guys are going to be in Phoenix tomorrow. I'm going to come see you at the arena. Not because right. I want to fight, but because... I never wanted to be 
where someone else is speaking for me. So we're going to have a conversation. And I'm, and that's the thing that I do. I go to games mainly for the pre-game uh, kind of right, right, scene. Right. I go, I sit on the sit courtside where the guys are warming up. Anybody got a problem with me, you can come sit down. You can holler at me, whatever. Uh, you know, I'll be say, I say hi to the scouts. I say hi to, you know, all the, the coaches, whatever. Then after the game, I'll usually be in that outside hallway scrum. I don't like going in the locker room. I don't, I don't need to. But I'll be in that outside hallway right there. So the player comes out last to warm up. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to approach him. I'm going to let him do his warm up. He's here to do a job. Does his whole warm up. When he's done, he starts to run back down the tunnel. So I run after him. And in my mind, I'm like, ah, crap. I kind of wanted this to right. be on the open. Right, right. <laughs> I get back in that tunnel. Ain't no tunnel was going to happen. But, you know, I'm like, hey, we're here. So I run after him. I call his name. I call his name. Finally, he hears me, turns around. And I said, what's up? And I looked in his eyes and I knew at that moment he had done some research and asked, what did exactly did he say? And realized that whatever was said to him didn't sound like it, like right. didn't jive, particularly with whatever, right? And so then he went into, he said, I'll catch you later. It, it ain't a problem. And he, he went into the locker room. And me and him right. are cool now. I'll give another example of a guy, I will say his name, Devin Booker. I was like, what's up now, nigga? After they hit, like, it was, you know, early in the season when they beat the Sixers, I believe, last year. They went up 12 and 9. And he was doing his post game, right? Every time that you win a game, the Suns win a game, there's a player does a post game interview right outside that locker room. So they're set up for the shot, setting up for the shot. And he said, and, I, and I'm walking down the hallway. I'm not even paying them no mind. I keep, what's up now? What's up now? And I'm like, is he talking to me? And I'm like, you talking to me? And he says, yeah, you. I'm like, what? Uh, he says to me, uh, he says, you said I'd never be a number one in this league. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I never said that. <laughs> He's like, no, yes, you did. Yes, you did. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I never said that. Like, but you about to do your interview. Do your interview and then come holler at me. And so I stood there and I waited. I'm right there with Julie Fi and my guy, DC Headley. Shout out to yep. DC. Yep. And I waited for the whole interview. And when he got done, he went in the locker room. So I'm like, all right. So I go out to the loading dock, which is where the buses are and where everyone comes out because that's kind of where I loiter after games, for Suns games. And he comes out. And again, he was like, hey, man, like no hard feelings or whatever. And I'm like, it's, it's cool, man. Like I say critical things and you're allowed to get upset any way you want. You're allowed to use that to fuel you as a player. But like... You know, don't put words in my mouth. <laughs> like, and it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And book's great. And I know his dad. And they're great. And I, I talked to his dad about it. His dad is like, he's fine. He just, you know, just getting himself hyped right, up. Right, right. So the concept of something critical said about player and player voicing something back is not, it's not new. I think for me, it's the idea that this dude took what was clearly, I mean, not in-depth analysis and actually had his feelings hurt. And I question, is it because I said what I said or is it because I'm right? I would argue, right. Mm. I mean, my, mm. my little armchair psychology would be this. 
you hit it earlier that they nobody nationally ever talks about them. So if you're in his shoes, first of all, you sign a max deal, you're thinking, you know, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. And then it's like the headline is not reflective of, of you know, kind of something that you like. And you're not used to that spotlight. But I do think, I mean, I've never been in his shoes in terms of being an elite athlete, but I think we can all relate to the idea that you have some success, somebody rewards you for some success, and then you look around going, man, am I worth it? You know what I mean? And you try to, to get to the next level. I think it doesn't, it's not that big of a deal on my end, but I think it does sound and come off like somebody who, you know, who's kind of not used to that max spotlight really. And and that's where as a player, so, well, he's got to obviously try to get there. Well, Sam, Sam, here's the thing. Cause I had people reach out to me, assistant coaches, players, people were in the NBA circles or whatever. They reached out to me after this whole thing kind of blew up. And overwhelmingly I got two, Everyone came at me with two points. Point number one is, man, why would you say, why would you do that? He's such a nice kid. Everybody likes him. He, you know, he 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 doesn't he doesn't bother anybody. Like, why would you pick on him, basically, or or that it was uh, maybe a little mean? But you know what the other part of everyone's message was? You ain't lying though. <laughs> well, I think that's what's what's here is you didn't pick up you didn't pick on anybody. Like John Morant, rookie of the year, um, incredible young talent. The dude who is dunking all over everybody comes back after the meniscus injury, the knee injury, going into his rookie season. Everyone's talking about Zion and just blows the doors off of everybody in the in the uh, rookie season. He has an incredible year. Um, he's two years younger than De'Aaron Fox, so if you're going to say on balance who's the better player right now it's probably up for debate in terms of who you'd rather ride for the next 10 years. I think most people would say John Morant, the rookie of the year, the 20 year old who averaged 17, 18 points and seven rebounds, whatever. But, you know, I always think about this with NBA players who get paid, they get, you know, a huge deal like the and Fox. There's still this little insecurity that like, maybe, Maybe I'm not as good as I think I am, or maybe I'm not in the same conversations as other players who I think I deserve to be on that in that tier. And so when you bring up John Morant's name, I wonder what John Morant thinks. Like John Morant's sitting there, guys, watching this back and forth between a meme where they're going in each other's mentions on multiple platforms, which I mean you pointed out that this this was <laughs> on air MySpace. on TV. <laughs> yeah. MySpace. You were on air on TV. It got clipped and posted to Cowbell Kingdom, which is the blog in Sacramento, and then they tag uh they tagged Darren Fox in it and on Instagram. And then so then you guys are going back and forth on Instagram, and then De'Aaron Fox goes up on Twitter and uh, says something to the effect of like, Rich. you're a clown. <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm sitting here being like, I wonder what John Moran thinks about this because, Oh, you know, like John, John probably hates me. Cause he, he's bringing, like, because you, you brought him into some sort of beef that yeah. he hadn't, he's yeah. now going to be associated with thinking that De- yeah. Deer and Fox ain't shit. Well, when they play each other, like De'Aaron's yeah. clearly like, I mean, you're going to be on his mind when he plays Ja. Like that's, there's no way that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, and and by the way, like again, this was none of this was my intention, but you know, uh, when Giannis uh, played for Greece, 
in the World Cup, the one, you know, the one that De'Aaron Fox conveniently decided he didn't want to play for. Uh, <clears throat> when Giannis was playing for Greece, he lost to Brazil. And after the game, that's a Brazilian coach. Uh, like, how much game planning did you have to do to learn how to stop Giannis? He said, none. I just watched the playoffs. And so when Giannis came back here for the NBA season, early on they played Atlanta, and it was a blowout. And Giannis went at Bruno Caboclo mercilessly. Right. I mean, mercilessly. Right. And got teed up and, and all types of, uh, you know, uh, you know it, it was a, a contentious situation, which was kind of weird. You're, you're the MVP of the league on the best team in the league, playing a terrible team, playing a guy who's two years away from being two years away from being two years away uh, in a blowout. Why, why escalate it? And Eric Name told, told us the story on SiriusXM. He said, because Barbosa and Vergeau aren't in the league anymore. Right. Right. You've told he this literally story just even like, on this podcast, that? I think. Yes. Yeah. Who is the avatar for Brazilian basketball who's going to catch the wrath of the trash talk that was told by your coach? And it turned out Bruno Caboclo, poor him. He just happened to be the guy. So in a similar way, I'm pretty sure De'Aaron Fox is probably going to go into that Memphis matchup with that on his mind, is Ja going to have it on his mind? Maybe, maybe not. But the difference is I don't coach John Morant. I don't pay John Morant. We're not related. I met him once on draft day when he got drafted. Pleasant young man. Uh, I I thought he was funny and charming and all that stuff. And I think he's a hell of a basketball player. But at the end of the day, De'Aaron Fox, you can – average 50 and 30 on them it doesn't bother me none because it doesn't do anything the only thing that you can quote unquote bother me with is if you have like a wonderful season that results in a playoff berth oh you know what just 500 how about that right if they if the the, the in, in, if if you're thinking about like what's the worst thing that could happen to a mean so i guess it would be like if the kings made the playoffs and were like five games over 500 like, see, told you, told you we're really good. But, like, what you do against John Morant, because a lot of people point out, oh, in three out of four games, he outplayed. But I'm like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Who cares? Who cares? You outplayed that one dude, those three. T- okay. All right. Uh, Darren Williams used to outplay Chris Paul all the time. That's exactly where I was going to go. I mean, this feels like the Darren Williams, Chris Paul debate from like 20. 20- 2009 or whatever it was where it was you know, like you know what the difference da- Darren, is Darren, you know what the difference is though what's the difference the difference is Darren was all NBA yeah, Darren was good and his team really went good. to the conference fucking finals he didn't just get up for three or four matchups a fucking year his ass was winning games and performing at a level that was unquestionably excellent but you know we that's that's again. That's the whole thing that mystifies me about this. I had somebody say, "Oh, this is just what Amin does. He likes to pick on bad teams." Now the Suns got Chris Paul. He's moved on to Sacramento. But yes, finally someone gets it, and you still don't in an ironic <laughs> way. Yes, I pick on bad teams. Yes, your job. I don't your like jo- bad your job basketball. is to pick on bad teams, in, in the sense that you're supposed exactly. to be critical. Yes, I mean, let me ask you this: yes. on the basketball side, when I saw this whole thing unfolding. I wondered if you got to pick 
uh, between the idea that this says more about how you feel about De'Aaron or how, you know, in terms of the ceiling that you clearly think he has or Ja and how special he's going to be, which side of the ledger are you going to go on that one? This is all about Ja. Yeah. I think Ja's special. I, I thought he was special since the first regular season game I watched him play. It was in Miami. I was at that game. And I remember, you know, I, I watched him in college, and he was electric and fun to watch. And I thought, obviously, he was the number two overall. I had no problem with where he was drafted. And so I'm in preseason, like, oh, he's really adjusting summer league. He was pretty good. Um, and then I, I remember going to that first game and seeing – I'm sitting – you guys know where we sit in Miami, right? That the media seatings at the top of the 100s. Yep, yep. And I'm looking, I'm like, oh, that's really good. The young man, like, talks a lot. He's a good talker. He's talking to... Then I was like, wait, he's not talking to his teammates. Is he talking shit? <laughs> and, like, I'm like, he's talking... I'm like, wow, this guy's got a lot of balls. Just uh, out here, your first NBA game, and you're playing for a terrible Memphis team, and you out here talking? But then, as the season goes on, we realized two things. One, yes, he's out here talking every game uh, and very funny trash talk. And two is, fuck, he's making this team play well. They're winning games, and it's not because they've got this wealth of talent on the floor, and it's not because Greg Popovich or Eric Spolster is coaching him up. I mean, this is, this is a really good player. And to me, it's like, I look at him and I look at Memphis and I say, if I'm a Memphis Grizzlies fan, I have legitimate hope. This thing is going somewhere great. Well, Was it a I think Sacramento not, fans like, would tell you that they believe in De'Aaron Fox, that this is going to be the guy who brings them back into the playoffs. And I think Sam would probably agree with me. They, they have this, um, like I would go on. So as NBC sports, national NBA insider or whatever, I would come in and hop on the Sacramento Kings shows. And the first question I would be asked is why does the national media hate us? Like what, what is the agenda against Sacramento? Like why, why is the national media um, ESPNs of the world um, hate on us so much? Like, what is it? And I'm like, I, I don't know. Is it because you guys have not been very good for like the last decade plus? Like it, it doesn't, there, there is this complex that I think the Sacramento Kings fans and the organization probably have, but, which is uh, I'm going to take any slight and use it as part of this narrative in my head that like it is not our fault that we don't get the attention. It's that they have an agenda against us. And Amin Al-Hassan is part of that uh, with the, but coalition but that, but that's against my Sacramento. That's my favorite part like that because Sacramento is a small market team. They all love the big market, flashy markets. Like Memphis? <laughs> right. And by the way, let me tell you a story about a time when Memphis fans were angry at me because I said Tony Allen is becoming extinct. Tony Allen type players are extinct in this league. People lost their mind, right? And this was before the checkmate of, okay, I'll just put Andrew Bogut on him and that's it, right? That was the, the but before that, I was like, the idea of a one-way player that isn't a good shooter and can't finish, like, those days are over. The game is evolving where you need to be some sort of threat. doesn't have to be a shooting threat. 
But you got to be some sort of threat on the floor. And if you occupy the threat of finishes around the basket, which is typically a big man thing, then that means someone else on the floor has to be really good at shooting. Because they got to replace your non-shooting shooting guard ass, right? In the balance of, of the court. It wasn't a disrespect to Tony Allen. It was just, man, this is where life is going. And Grizzlies fans were irate. All the same shit that people from Sacramento State were saying. The difference is local radio in Memphis would have me on and like, like, it was like they, they understood. They got it. They're like, yeah, people are sensitive here, da, 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 but we understand. But, you know, Tony's a big part of his team. I got ESPN local in Sacramento out here like with pom-poms. I'm like, what? This is who you want to ride with? Okay. We'll see. But again, Memphis was good when, when this is happening. Yeah, Sam, re- recently, maybe this is part of this conversation, is recently at The Athletic, there was an NBA owner rank among you know bat- NBA insiders, agent types, executives, coaches. And um, part of the poll was ranking NBA owners for the worst owner NBA owner. Vivek Ranadive got the most votes, right. 23 and a half. By the way, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. I don't either. I don't agree with that. Vote. But – this is all part of, I think, the conversation, which is Sacramento hasn't been on a great run. And De'Aaron Fox is their, like, their little glimmer of hope here. And maybe that's just all baked into this reaction to Amin. Yeah, I think so. I mean, because it's, it's that idea that the spotlight only comes your way at times when you don't want it. And, you know, they had their little uptick. Uh, two seasons ago at this point when they were thinking it was going in the right direction and, you know, the, the Marcus Cousins trade had netted some stuff that was paying off and Vlad Vivac gets an extension and it's going one way and then now it's gone back the other. So they're not in a good mood in general. It's funny because I'm sitting in my office here and, and we live in the suburbs and we live at the end of a court looking out my window and my buddy, my neighbor John, is has become kind of a, a little bit of a a dude I talk about a lot on local radio because we his affectionate nickname is Drunk Neighbor John, and he's a huge, massive Kings fan. And so he's like my pulse for Kingsland. And talking to John the last couple months, I've never heard him disconnect as much from the Kings as he has because it's like, you know, 14 years of no postseason, 14 years of dysfunction. And, and now, you know, if he's kind of somebody who has a pulse on it, he's wishing new GM Monty McNair luck. And basically saying, wake me up when you guys might figure something out. So the spotlight doesn't come their way unless it's bad. And De'Aaron is still considered one of the few bright spots and one of the few things that they got right in the draft and that they hope leads them to, you know, this promised land that they have not been able to get to. So, I mean, that's the undercurrent that you obviously struck a chord with is that they don't got much to be feeling good about. And if you, as somebody who, has been around the game, has great sense of things, are basically saying he might not be the guy that you think he is, that's, you know, that's not going to land well. Yeah, I mean, I understand that. Fans are irrational, right? I joke around. I I grew up in New York. I was a Knicks fan growing up. They're terrible. And I, although I say usually Knicks fans, or actually when I was growing up, like, the people who were hardest on the Knicks were Knicks fans. Always waiting for the other shoe to drop. How are we going to mess this one up? And and they were good at the time. And, you know, nowadays you get a lot of sensitivities of 
they like talking about the Knicks because it gets clicks or whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm like, no, because you're bad. You're bad in a way that's like historically so. So the Kings haven't won or had a winning ra- season since 2006. Yeah. They haven't been to the playoffs since 2006. It's been two and a half collective bargaining agreements, <laughs> maybe more. Is that the measuring stick? Okay. It is. That was yeah. my first year on the so Kings beat, like, by the way. It was a long ass time ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so, so. It's the, it's the, the Enoch the, curse, is what you're saying? It was, well, yeah, a little uh-huh. bit, a little bit. It was year one of five. So they, and honestly, it was a fun year to cover. They, if you guys remember, they were terrible in the first half. They trade for Ron Artest. He comes in like a crazy person in a yeah. good way and plays his ass off. I remember being in Toronto and visitors' locker room. And they beat the Raptors, and he predicts that they're going to make the playoffs. And back then, I'm like, I'm the only guy talking to Ron. There's no media. So I write, you know, Ron says playoff time. And they did it. I think they were 44 and 38. You know, Bonzi Wells, Mike Bibby, yes. Kevin Martin, Sharif Bonzi, yeah. Rick Adelman. Rick Adelman. Adelman. Yeah. And Brad Miller? Yeah, yeah, Brad Miller. Yeah. No, Brad Miller. Yeah, yeah, Brad, yeah, Brad yeah, yeah. And they, uh, they, it was all downhill from there. You know, Eric Musselman, Reggie Theus. Here's the thing for me, guys. I think if you sit here and talk about a franchise that has a fan base where the passion's at a high level combined with a franchise that's not giving them anything to feel good about in terms of relevancy and making noise and having fun, other than that uptick I mentioned a few minutes ago, they haven't had much for 14 years. And I don't know that there's another organization with that dichotomy that's not a good one. And then with some dysfunction in there too, the Knicks are the Knicks. That's a different market. That's a bigger stage. But the mood is not good. And I think that for the most part, not that every Kings fan is the same, but there's a lot of compartmentalizing of Vivek and who he is as an owner and the shortcomings that come with that. Now, got to give him, I think, credit off the court. He's done some fantastic stuff in the community, on the social justice front, in a lot of different areas. The business side, they just can't figure the basketball stuff out. And, you know, it, it just goes back to, De'Aaron representing one of the few signs of hope and the idea that what if it means right? Like that's terrifying to any Kings fan. Yeah. So, you know, what I was saying about the fans was fans are fans. I often say the fans are dumb, but people are like, when I say that, I just say fans are fans, right? But to me, it's when the surrogates jump in. Like people who are affiliate, like... The beat writer for the Sacramento Bee. The local radio state sports radio affiliate. The shadowy former PR person. I don't even know what her affiliation is with the Kings anymore. But like, it's when those people start wading into these waters. You really want to do this? You really want to like mine honor with the Sacramento Kings? Because we know how this movie ends. Like the, the Sacramento Kings uh, Twitter account. Again, you can do it. I'm not saying, oh, how dare they? Oh my gosh, I can't believe they would be so unprepared. I'm not saying any of that. But I'm just saying, if you're the Kings social media team and you want to put a video of me on American Ninja Warrior, so, oh, when you tangle Kings Nation, you haven't made the <laughs> fucking playoffs since 2006. I didn't know they did that. <laughs> did they really do that? Right. Yeah, they really did that. But I don't, like, I don't mind. I'm laugh? just saying that okay? like. That's kind of good. Yeah. Absolutely, you can laugh, but also, <laughs> also I just said that I said I I I posted the caption underneath alternate caption Kings trying to make the playoffs. <laughs> oh sh- yeah, see that's what, I mean, they, like, there's going to be receipts for that when the the season derails and then oh 
Tom, it's, uh, now it's now it's uh, now it's fun time for Amin. That's the problem. Yeah. Now it's You've got fun AMO time to unleash. Yeah. Oh Let's- my god! Because it's not like Cleveland. It's not like Cleveland where it's like LeBron is so good, and he was in 2016. He was. I was. I went on the radio, and I said, "LeBron is done. This is the beginning of the end." We see the slippage, da da da, and like a couple of months later, he comes up, pulls out the greatest comeback in NBA Finals history. Right? LeBron had the capacity to do that to me, and I said something that, in retrospect, looks foolish and incredibly disrespectful. Albeit, it made sense because who the hell gets better at that stage <laughs> of their career? Yeah. yeah, no matter, right? the The point is, no matter what my logic was in saying what I said at the time. He managed to prove me wrong in a most fantastic fashion because he's that good. And that team was that good. And, and, the, and you pound your chest and point at him and say, respect. Like, of course. Yeah. Of course. Right. And if the Kings do that, I'll do the same thing. I was going to say, I, like, so I know you, you said, you, don't, you said this was, this was about Ja, but as, as a resident, you know, dude who lives near SAC and got invited on the pod for SAC context. Mm-hmm. I want to know with the Aaron and what you think of his game. Uh, wh- what's the ceiling here? Like, can he be the second best player on a uh, on a on a title contender on a playoff team? Like, what what do you think? Because this is a team game, and their roster, you know, is yeah. not a good one. And obviously, they lose talent with Bogdanovich going to Atlanta, all that stuff. So, you know, how much of the shortcomings that you think are going to happen for them again this season are him versus the squad around him. And, and just where, like, what do you think of where he's at in the hierarchy here? So I think when you're talking about team building, it's uh, one of the dangerous areas is when, because they have a new front office. I want to point that out. Obviously, Monty McNair and Wes Wilcox, they weren't here. They just got here pretty much. Right. And I, I, I don't know Monty. I know Wes. So, again, this isn't like I'm taking blind shots. Uh, and it's not like I'm taking shots at them. I'm just, I'm knowledgeable of the situation they're walking into. When you have talent that is praised and, and you're walking in the door as a new guy, it's, it can be difficult to make change. Look at Tom Thibodeau, Minnesota. No one's questioning Carl Anthony Towns' talent. But how do you make, how do you bring the accountability that brings about success from an organizational standpoint to someone who up until this point has been the golden child? I'm the golden child. I'm the savior. Right. DeMarcus Cousins in Sacramento. How do you get across to this person when you're not their first GM? Some cases you're not their second GM. You're not my first head coach, right? It's So these are the difficulties of new people coming to change a losing culture where someone has been exalted without the prerequisite success to earn such exaltation. So when you ask me, can De'Aaron Fox be the second best player on a championship team? Maybe. It won't be Sacramento. It'll be when he gets traded somewhere else. And he's number two to Jason Tatum or someone like that. Or or he goes to Miami and he's number two to Bam and, and somebody else. 
Sure. But you're telling me in Sacramento, as is, you better have a hell of a number one. Is Bronny going to get drafted so LeBron <laughs> shines up there? Like, it better be a hell of a number one. And because it's got to be someone who's going to walk in and, and command an instant respect of, y'all ain't doing it like this anymore. It's kind of like Chris Paul coming up to Phoenix. I love Devin Booker. But it, it wasn't going to turn around as long as it was just, oh, we drafted someone really good. Oh, now we got you know, this minor free agent pickup. It, it wasn't going to turn around in Phoenix. Chris Paul is the first time since in the 10 years since I've been gone. And I'm like, this might be the one. And by turn around, I mean make the playoffs. <laughs> Win 50 games, right? right? What about, what, um, what about, I'm going to throw a name at you. John mm-hmm. Wall, do you think De'Aaron Fox can attain a status in the NBA like John Wall? All like borderline All NBA player, perennial All Star. Like if he was in the Eastern Conference, let's just say. In terms of like MVP candidate, I don't think so. But could he attain like m- multiple All Star career, like Mike Conley, John Wall type status in the NBA? I mean, Mike. Con- it's tough, man. You don't see it. I, it's just it, like John Wall. John Wall was legit a top ten point guard, right? At at, at a point in his career. Oh, for sure. Yeah, early in his career, yeah. right? You want to point, count how many point guards before we get to De'Aaron Fox? You know, it's, it's not a fun game if you're De'Aaron. This is, no, I'm, yeah. I'm just like, and again, it's not, this isn't that De'Aaron Fox isn't good. This is, look at the people ahead of him. It, it, it is so hard. You want to talk about all-star. Look at the Western Conference. Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, James Harden for now. Uh, Chris Paul. And that's just me rattling off names. That's four already. I haven't even thought about Donovan Mitchell. If you don't want to call him point guard, okay, whatever. Yeah, Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray. Okay. Yeah. Jamal Murray. Yeah, he's that's a, six. Yeah. That's just in the Western Conference, right? That's just me, like, riffing. I haven't even, like, really done – is LeBron a point guard? That's seven. The, the, Would you rather the have Drew Holiday this season or De'Aaron Fox? Who am I? The Kings? I'd rather have De'Aaron Fox. At least yeah, he's 22 and a, yeah. hope. Yeah, there's hope there. Like Drew Holiday is what he is. De'Aaron Fox presumably is going to keep getting better. But like my thing is, for instance, people point to his three point percentage his second year. No, no, don't do that. Yeah. Oh, like he's a yeah, he's a good three point shooter. He shot well last year. I'm like, okay. But if he shot it poorly his rookie year and he shot it poorly his most recent third year. Yeah, yeah. What do you think is more likely? He had a good year or somehow there are all these other things that led to him not shooting well, but really he's a good shooter. It, it, you know, lightning quick. We get that. Get to the front of rim. Nice little mid range game in between game. It's it, he's a good player. Don't get it twisted. I'm not calling him garbage. Is this someone who can elevate the Sacramento Kings from what they are? If he's Russell Devin Westbrook, Book- yeah. You know, like, if he's Russell, but he's not Russell Westbrook. 
Look, Devin Booker is in the running for best shooting guard in the league. He's not good enough to elevate Phoenix. Right. Does that mean he's not good? No. If Devin Booker were somewhere else, he'd be killing. And they'd probably win a shit ton of games. And now that Chris Paul is there, now finally you got a chance. But sometimes people have to realize that there's a there's almost dual tracks of individual talent and does this work on a team concept. And it's not just for young players. I said this in Miami. Uh, Tom, you remember this? People in Miami got upset when I said Dwayne Wade is holding this team back because either Dwayne Wade can average 20 points a game or this team can win, but it can't be both. As long as everything was about exalting Wade towards the end there before he left it for Chicago, the team wasn't going to be as good as it needed to be. They went into playoff games down three, give it to the guy who hasn't hit a three from this, since December. Now he hit the three, I get it. Yeah, yeah. But like, if that's your approach, For the Kobe, the late Kobe, you are, you're exactly, you're automatically saying we're going to have a cap, and we're not going to be better than this level here, because rather than make the right basketball decision, we're going to lean on nostalgia and all these other things. For the young player, it's different. It's you are a savior, the greatest thing ever. Please don't leave us, right? Please don't leave us. So you give them everything they want, and then you don't get the success, and you fire the coach, and you fire the GM, and you, you make these moves, and uh, and eventually those guys end up leaving. Well, and, and here's now, the context too, guys. Like, and I wish De'Aaron well, and and we'll see if he can change this trend. But I mean, Tyreek Evans. DeMarcus Cousins, guys like that. I mean, it, the formula is the same. You know, DeMarcus came in and had, I remember they put, I forget if it was a poster or a billboard. There was something, you know, really over the top marketing DeMarcus right away when he was a rookie. And I remember he got into it with Paul Westfall in practice. And Paul, who had a very short leash with DeMarcus early on, I think training camp, I remember they get into it in practice and he yelled at Marcus was like, Hey, I didn't, you know, I didn't put that thing up downtown of you. Like you're, you're nothing to me. You know, you're a rookie. And he was trying to check him. Like the organization might be Mm. being over the top and putting you out there like that. But it it, right out the gate, it created a, a really challenging dynamic between the two of them because of the, the over the top way that they're trying to celebrate a young player. And Tyreek, I don't know if you guys remember the uh, rookie year push, for 25 and 5, mm-hmm. 20 points, 5 boards, yep. 5 assists. The only mm-hmm. only one other than like LeBron. It was like right, and, and it was like a really cool, like once that became something that you saw he could attain, like for a minute, it was just like, man, he's having a great rookie year. Like, and it was genuine and it was organic. And then in no time flat, the marketing arm got their their claws into it. And now it was, it was, now it affected the basketball court where you felt like Tyreek was trying to get to 25 and 5 because then mm-hmm. they could put him in the same sentence with LeBron because he had done it. And again, like it was unhealthy and Tyreek goes on to have some okay years, but he was never the player that people thought he was going to be. And that's where if you're De'Aaron and you're his people, you know, and his family, that's where you've got to say, you know, keep focused. Don't get distracted by guys. Like, I mean, you know, go try to buck this trend. But I mean, that's the way it's been here for a long time. 
And, and Sam, that, that, is, that is the ballad of the bad organization, right? right. That, that's the part where I don't hold the players accountable because if you're 19, 20, 21 years old, and everywhere you go in these podunk cities, people are loving you. They're telling you the best thing that ever happened. We're rooting for you, da, da, da. It's hard to then be held accountable. Like, what? You seen the, like, how are you going to tell me it's my fault, pretty much? Look at my numbers. Look at the, the, the billboards outside. And the combination of it, the difficulty of holding people accountable, and then a front office and really an ownership that won't stand lockstep in that. I think that's, that's where you, you, you get into trouble. You get into trouble because you, Paul Westfall could never do that. First of all, part of it is obviously probably a generational thing. No doubt. You really can't, yep. you can't talk to players like that anymore. Uh, but the other part of it is. Remember the Paul. Uh, DeMar- sorry, I mean, let me jump in real quick because you're bringing back old memories. Yeah. You guys remember the Paul, I think, was the only coach in NBA history who wrote his own press release checking a player. Like they, the Kings put out a statement oh, he signed, yeah. when they suspended DeMarcus with Paul writing, like, you know, just just essentially, you know, telling the world how out of line DeMarcus was in a formal release. I mean, I've, I've never seen anything like that before or since. Yeah. And put his name on it. Yeah. Like, this isn't coming from the origin. This is coming from me. Right. Right. Like, right. Right. Yes. right. But, like, at the same time, if you're DeMarcus... I mean, the guys aren't idiots. Life, the lifespan of a coach is this. Right. <laughs> it's decidedly shorter than the lifespan of a, career. a star player. In, unless you're in a strong organization, right? Oklahoma City, uh, San, Antonio. San Antonio, Miami, Boston. Strong organizations, Utah. This is how we do it. They traded Darren Williams within like two weeks. Right. Some app, he ran in with Jerry Sloan. Peace. All right, cool. Done. Not because Darren Williams wasn't good, but because organizationally, they knew, like, if we don't back our guy, who we believe in, obviously, I'm not saying you got to back every, because some coaches aren't good. Some coaches aren't the right people for, for the job. I'm not saying a coach has to be somewhere 20 years, but if you believe someone is the guy, then you got to back him up when he makes tough decisions, not because you want to piss off the player or stifle them or whatever, but because like it's a team environment. You got to have things that fit. And obviously all of this is, is a sliding scale. I'm not saying there's a one size fits all um, solution, but we do know Sacramento has a habit of crowning them before they've achieved. And second of all, how many general managers, how many coaches have run through there? Just under Vivek. For De'Aaron Fox, it is troubling to me that the single most signature thing that we talk about him, how his career is framed, is what? He fucking ate Lonzo Ball's lunch. Sure, yes he did. And whenever they play, he, he usually gets the better of them. But, and I'm not saying that he does this, but the conversation around him emanating from people who like him, who are usually from that part of the world, Sacramento. 
you're framing everything in the lens of a one-on-one matchup against a guy who isn't even he's trying to find his way too like you said Tom what about the other games what did he do against Chris Paul what did he do against Russell Westbrook what did he do I was watching uh, oh man look the, the, the point is like as long as you live in a prism of the like it's the park four guys over there and the other four guys over there it's me and you and clear out and yeah and got him and take him and all like all right bro you got it you can be the best person in n one here's the thing this ain't n one like x's and o's y's here's what i'm looking at this year for one i think they've got to have a a whole lot more synergy between the front office the coaching staff and De'Aaron about how to get the best out of him because in terms of his skill set, his speed is obviously number one. And yep. last year, going into the year, I was with the Kings in India. I made that trip when they played Indiana in the preseason. I actually flew with the Kings. And Luke Walton was trying to get his head around the job. Luke Walton was coming off a terrible summer of accusations that you guys are well aware of that you know, I don't I don't care what you say, like that slowed down their process and their program. And camp then became how do we stay kind of with our heads above water because we just went to the other side of the globe and we got a new coach. And Luke focused on defense, which I understand the merits of it, but he also slowed them down because of those defensive intentions and, and aspirations. And that did not work well for Darren's game. This was coming off a year where Dave Yeager had tapped into what De'Aaron does best, and they had some really good times. So I think going into this year that that is going to be altered. I think that, you know, getting the most out of De'Aaron in that area is going to be prioritized. And Monty McNair coming from Houston, you know, listen, they want to unleash Buddy Heald. Forget about the drama with Buddy. He's a hell of a shooter. They want shooters around. They want to open it up. I think it should work well with De'Aaron's game. And then Bogdan Bogdanovich could help that, by the way. He could, but I mean, I don't know where you guys fall there. I don't know. I, I just having a bloated payroll with a team that you know is going nowhere. I was I was fine with them losing Bogdan. You can definitely argue about how they got there. And, you know, they could have got some assets out of Atlanta. I wrote about that a few weeks ago. So, you know, the way it went down wasn't great, but I understand not matching on Bogdan. But the other thing that doesn't get talked about much, and I think will be part of De'Aaron's narrative this year, is that, especially with this contract, leadership is in question. And it's not in question in the kind – I mean, he's still young. You're learning and you're growing as a person. But coming out of last season, talking to people in that locker room, that is a focal point. That is something where it's that evolution from, okay, man, like you can make an impact in the NBA game and you were talented – but are you going to bring us together? Are you going to truly try to do something here and be the guy leading the way? That is going to be huge, I think, as, as far as where he's going. No, that that totally makes sense. And I think De'Aaron Fox, now that he's gotten paid, there's going to be a lot more expectations on him to lead, even though he's 23 years old, right? Um, and Luke Walton inst- implementing a more slow-it-down methodical offense to, to focus on defense – doesn't work with his style. Like two years ago, they had the second fastest offense in terms of average shot um, 
you know, seconds to their first shot. The only one that was faster was Russell Westbrook and the OKC Thunder. So if you want to make the comp of Russ, like there it is, is that he was part of an offense that catered towards playing up-tempo basketball and, and maximizing his speed and his talent in the open court. And then they fell back to like middle of the pack 17th last year under Luke Walton. So maybe they kick up the speed um, and, and play faster, which can help Buddy Heald and Marvin Bagley. I don't think it helps with Hassan Whiteside. We'll get to that another day. But um, now that we're talking about the Kings and whether it's their fault or not, now that I have you, Sam, I want to talk about the uh, Bogdanovich thing. So the NBA comes down yesterday and says, um, we looked in, we investigated the tampering allegation of the Milwaukee Bucks uh, coming to a, an agreement with the sec or with Bogdan Bogdanovich to trade um, Bogey to come to, to Milwaukee for Dante DiVincenzo, DJ Wilson, and, um, and Ursan Ilyasova. The NBA came out of that investigation and decided that they were guilty of that, but they were only going to have to sacrifice a 2022 second round pick. What did you make of the uh, about the um, the NBA's punishment there of the second round pick? It's, I mean, it, if I don't know if the goal was to just penalize the Bucks a little bit, great job, um, you did that a, a very, very, very little bit. I mean, beyond that, it doesn't meet the standard that Adam Silver had tried to claim was being established last year when tampering breaking the rules in any kind was a focal point. Um, you know, they were going to crack down on this stuff and this is not cracking down. Now it's interesting. It's an inexact science, just how the league legislates. Right. And so yep. the, the release itself gives you that insight, which is the bucks cooperating helped their cause. And what I found really interesting was they go out of the way to say the fact that Bogdan did not wind up in Milwaukee, which definitely fits with everything I heard during the process. And that was a story that I had decided to dive into and report pretty heavily on. And there was a time when it was like, all right, so it fell apart. And then why am I forgetting? The Bucks said goodbye to who did they wave? Ursan Ilyasova. They, they waved Ursan, yeah. which was to me, that was the moment where I was like, yeah, this deal ain't happening. Well, like, and so... But there was a minute time where like it was like, all right, is it not happening? Or do they have essentially the behind-the-scenes edict from the league that if you're getting bowed down, you better find another way to do it that is less advantageous for you? And I thought maybe they would do it because there was a minute where Bogdan's camp was indicating that he was possibly going to still meet with Milwaukee in free agency. And then it was like, okay, Giannis wants him, so is Giannis going to come back from Greece early to – really be over the top and show Bogdan that he wants him there. And then it was like, but are they allowed to get Bogdan? Again, this, this is the unofficial stuff. Are they, are they even going to go down that road? And I was told in no uncertain terms that it essentially Bogdan was looking at it and was like, if there's even a 1% chance that I go to Milwaukee and then the NBA comes in and nixes it. And then I'm now left with a market that is drastically different than the one I was facing before. And I end up paying the price for this. If there's a 1% chance of that blowing up in my face, I'm not doing it. And then hello, Atlanta. And he goes that direction. 
right? Because the, because the NBA could have come down harder. They oh, could yeah. have said, you know, that 2021 first round pick. Yeah. Out the window. It feels like the real punishment was you don't get Bogdanovich. Exactly. Yeah. Is that the NBA felt like whatever crime you had committed, you have already paid a penalty that you're going to suffer through. And we'll just throw in a second round Ooh. pick that now that Giannis ended a coup, the NBA did the calculation obviously and saw like what would really hurt. They could have taken away the 2021 pick, but they didn't. Right. Oh, the first rounder. Yeah. You mean the first rounder yeah. this, this upcoming yeah. summer, they could have said, yeah, that first rounder that you have, that's gone. Well, here's but the instead, other. Well, the, the three, the three, Things they cited were cooperation by the Bucks, uh, the fact that there was no material evidence of uh, contract terms agreement beforehand. Right. Yeah, and uh, because they didn't get Bogdanovich, and I thought to myself, okay, so one of those is because they cooperate. I guess that's cool. All right, they didn't try hide or destroy evidence or whatever. Second one is. No material evidence. It's like, oh, so we all learned from Joe Smith and Glenn Taylor, basically. Yeah. Don't put it in writing, right? So, I mean, like, you you are rewarding them for being smart, not not dumb enough to put it in writing. Okay. And then the third one, because they didn't get Bogdanovich, I'm like, but you tried. You, you tried. And that, to me, though, like, but I think, again, two I mean, out of those that three. Means that, that, I think that is the, the cue that's telling you that they could have tr- continued trying even when they were in hot water and they, and they, and they stopped. Cause that's the thing. It went from, but that's, it went from, we might still get a meeting with Bogdan to somebody calling me and saying, you can report that they're no longer pursuing him. Right. But the, right. the, the thing though here is like you, if you're the NBA and you've made this, one of the top priorities of the league is to police the tampering. This is doing nothing. Bam McMahon tweeted out like, if this is the yeah. price for tampering, yeah. then oh, yeah. uh, you can kiss goodbye to second round Guys, picks for the next this was a, We got to make sure we jump in and talk about Giannis. Like this could have cost them Giannis Antetokounmpo. And they saw, and that's a fact. I mean, when he signed the Supermax and the days leading up to it, I think it was last Monday, I was told, I mean, on the Buck side, on the Buck side, they the question about Bogdanovich and did that hurt you and is that causing concern? The answer was yes. It was definitely yes. And it, they didn't know to what degree, and they were worried. And it, it went from being a, a situation where it was only a matter of time before Giannis signed it to this was one of the things that clearly caused concern for him. And so to that point, Tom, and, and to Tim's tweet, Ben McMahon, it's like the stakes on one side were getting Bogdan could help you hold on to a two-time MVP. And then on the other side, breaking the rules might cost you a second-round pick. Like, which way are you going to go? <laughs> right. Right. And that's, to me, that's, that's the crux of it is, is what Ban tweeted is the risks justify trying it. If the, if the worst thing that is going to happen is that we don't get the guy and they take a second round pick from me. By the way, second round pick in Milwaukee. Again, I know there's every year there's a great old Isaiah Thomas was the 60th overall pick. Okay. Yeah. But go through 10 years of 57, 58, 59, and 60. And let me know how many of those guys are you really banging the drum you for. You know what's funny about that, I mean, yeah. is that when I tweeted out that uh, the key line there was that the, that the Bucks didn't actually get uh, Bogdanovich, 
I had written like, if you're wondering why the punishment was so light, da 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 da. I got a bunch of Milwaukee fans in my mentions being like, so light? How about so harsh? Yeah. Like we, oh, we had to give it was up harsh? a pick for something that didn't even happen. We didn't even get Bogdan Bogdanovich Let's and we ended up sacrificing a pick. Right I'm like, yo, look, if you really want to play, like we got, uh, we got screwed by the NBA league office. You're also admitting that your team isn't going to be very good on that draft pick because if you do think that Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Bucks are going to win the championship or be a, a championship contender and win a whole bunch of games, that pick ain't going to be worth nothing. That pick is going to be right. a 58th uh, pick. So which one is it? Okay, you guys so, aren't so, going to be good so enough to make that pick valuable or you're going to be good and it's worth whatever the price it is to, so, to, so to l- l- Let's play this game. I used to, a long time ago, uh, when I was in the front office, I used to call this the Phantom Menace, right? When you trade someone for a second-round pick, top 55 protected. Yeah. That means, basically, you're trading them for nothing. You just want to get them off the books or whatever. It's not a real thing, all right? So here we go. Starting in 2014, Devin Marble, Louis uh, Laberry. Oh, I can't even see. Oh, I got to get reading glasses. Man. Uh, Louis Laberry, Jordan McRae, Xavier Thames, Corey Jefferson, all right? Yeah. Next year. 2015. Uh, let's see here. We got Brandon Dawson, Nikola Radovich, JP Takoto, Demetrius Agravinus, Luka Mitrovic. By the way, combine those five guys that played 29 minutes in the NBA. All right. Next I think year, I see where you're going right, with too, this, I mean. No, no. I, like the people, the too harsh. The too harsh people don't know where it's going. Daniel Hamilton, Wang Jilin, Abdul Nader, okay. He's turned into a productive NBA player. Isaiah Cousins, Tyrone Wallace, who actually played a bunch, but again, I'm not shedding tears about the inability to draft that guy. All right, next year, 2017. Jabari Bird, Alexander Vesenchkov, Onyan Yaramez, Yaron, uh, oh, Jaron Blossom game. Oh, I've got two used to what, reading international names. Blossom Game. Al- <laughs> Alpha Kaba. All right. Combined by, uh, what's that, 24 NBA games played. All right. Next year, Ray Spaulding, Kevin Hervey, Thomas Welsh, George King, Costa Antetokounmpo. And then 2019, we don't need to go to 2020, but just so you know what you missed out last year. Jalen Hands, Jordan Bone, Mie Oni, Dewan Hernandez, Vanya Marinkovic. So basically, other than Abdul Nader, because well, I was on, I was on uh, the jump the other day. Oh, yesterday, and Sadan so was like, "Whoa, Taylor Horton Tucker was a, a second round. He's like forty second. Yeah. Like, oh, Nikola Jokic, he's like forty one. Like the guys who there are great second round picks. I'm not trying to say second round picks don't matter. I'm trying to tell you a bottom five second round pick. A, you're not going to get a good player, and B, the chances are actually the guy's going to go undrafted, and you can sign him to whatever deal you right. want. What we should really be doing, like, I mean, what we should really be doing instead of two rounds of thirty, we should be doing four rounds of fifteen, and say the first, second, and third rounds. Up through 45, those picks matter. The back half, I mean, the back 15, like if you look at the fourth round of those quartiles, like, man, it's, it's, th- that's G League or below. 
That's G League or not even in the NBA. Yeah. Right. So yeah, you can say second round pick, but if we're talking about that last forty, last fifteen picks, um, it might not as even those players are praying not to be drafted. It might as well uh, be. I, I'll, I, yeah, because you have more more options. Right. You, you have more options, and again, I, I'll say. In the 40s, you absolutely can get players. I mean, just like last year's 2019, in the 40s, we got uh, Eric Pascal, 41, Admiral Schofield, 42, Jalen Null, 43, Bull Bull, 44, Isaiah Roby, 45, Taylor Horton Tucker, 46, uh, Brad Zikas, 47, Terrence Mann, 48, Quindary Weatherspoon, 49. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. Those are all guys who played last year and varying levels of like, oh, he's actually pretty good. I want to see what's going to happen with his career. Although since I'm the uh, once you hit I'm the six degrees of Sacramento guy, I just gotta throw Isaiah Thomas out there. The the one outlier, number sixty. But that's that's ten years right. ago. Right. Ten years ago. But like we, we can't run businesses to the anomalies. To, to that the, I flipped the, the coin the, ten times and one of those times I got ten heads. So I should always By the way, yeah. it's not ten times because I could look at the 10 years before that too. Like he might be the greatest 60th pick of all time. We could do this all day. We could do this all day. And I don't want to, um, I mean, the point, the point of the matter is that was a light punishment, especially right. with the stakes that Sam laid out of losing Giannis. If you're going to litigate the result, sure. It might not have been a bad crime, but if you re- litigate the process, the decision to try to secure a structure of a deal on Monday before free agency is able to go on on Friday. And Sam Amick from The Athletic reported on Wednesday that something was up. Like, And by the way, I should have reported that Monday night, for if I'm being Monday honest. Night. Because it was, it was a very weird thing where definitely knew on Tuesday what direction it was heading. And it was almost just like, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't even speak to what the delay was, but by Wednesday, you know, the intel coming my way was like, is anybody going to report this that that it's not happening? You know, and it had. I mean, again, Bogdan's camp the whole time said they hadn't agreed to the. And this is we don't need to keep going down this road, but like the one subplot that did get overlooked a lot was, I'm convinced that the Drew Holiday trade changed how Bogdan looked at it. And the sense I got was that basically he's a guy who believes in his talent and in Sacramento didn't love being, you know, not higher on their food chain. And then even though it's a title contender, the idea of having the pecking order go Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, then maybe Bodon, he wasn't feeling that as much as he was pre-holiday when it might have been Giannis, Chris, and then Bodon. So I think that stuff mattered. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it fell apart almost instantly. So if I'm if I'm Miami or if I'm in LA and I'm like, yo, if you didn't if you didn't you know th- throw down the hammer on on the Bucks after this, like right. it's free reign. Because that's that's the other thing is they're going to point to this. The precedent has been set. And so now if we're t- speaking in legal terms, like they're going to point to this as as ev- as as a precedent and be like, "Oh, oh, when Giannis ended Acumpo's uh, future in Milwaukee was in balance and they tried to secure a deal with a, a free agent on another team that wasn't allowed to be negotiated with, then this was the penalty? Okay, okay, just just making sure. And whether 
Milwaukee, they might have agreed to the structure of the deal um, in a verbal agreement of like, would you be down for this? Okay. All right. We'll come Friday. We'll, we'll, we'll wrap this up. Like that stuff goes on a lot in the NBA, but the difference is the NBA had made this an, a huge priority is to police this stuff. And well, at the and end I, of it, they said, and it got out. I mean, it got out. That was the other major thing. And I don't know. Well, it felt like the Bucks. I mean, you know, once it got out, it was like, we got holiday, we got Bodon, we got Giannis. And it felt like a little bit of a unofficial victory lap. It was obviously. Sam, can I ask you a, can I ask you a question from a news breaking perspective? Yep. Do you think this will make teams be more reticent about disclosing information prior, obviously not all information, but like in sensitive moments like that, look, moratorium hasn't even started. You think the teams will now take that as a warning shot? Like, yo, I know you think you trust these reporters, but uh, I, I'm not trusting them with anything. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't remember a free agency period. Sorry, but, Sam. That's That sucks for you. Well, it, it, it was like this uncomfortable. <laughs> like it, there was even if you go to the beginning of free agency, you know, if you guys remember last year, to me, the Garrett Temple contract in Brooklyn was like the, the one that had everybody going, okay, hold on a minute. Like Kyrie in Boston is one thing, you know, things like that, high profile where we kind of know they're happening and then they're done immediately. Oh, miraculously, it's 1201 and, and the news is getting out. But like Garrett Temple's contract with the Nets was instant. And it was like, wait, we're doing this for role players now too? And so that part of the news element, I don't know what direction it goes because this year it was like – and I'm not sharing too much, but we kind of didn't know what to do. It's like, well, we're here and this is done over here, but it's nowhere near the beginning of free agency. And and you don't really want for our line of work, you know, to be put in a position where it's like, don't tell me stuff I don't want to know because I want to do my job and report it. But on the back end, right. you know, you will probably get in trouble if I do my job. And on the one hand, we're, right. we are not, I mean, and everybody kind of moves differently, but my feeling is this, like I'm, very reasonable with everybody I deal with, but it's also, it's not my job to protect, you know, protect everybody. Like I'm not looking to run around making enemies left and right. So I'm not trying to go out of my way to hurt people, but it's going to be challenging. If you tell me, um, you know, stuff that is incredibly newsworthy that I think might get out elsewhere very quickly and then say, you know, but that's between us. Like it's, it's that part you don't learn in journalism school, but I think this will change things. But to, to be fair, I don't think it should be on you guys. You, you, you're obviously going to do, like you said, everyone moves differently. But at the end of the day, the concept as a team employee or, or someone who's representing an interested party in this proceedings, whether I'm King's front office, Bucks front office, or an agent that represents one of the players being exchanged. Uh, I got to learn that there's some things I can't say. Not right now. And, uh, you know, if it was the Bucks that did it, I don't want to make thing, assumptions. The tough thing, I mean, is you're trying to <laughs> – Giannis wants Bogdan, right? If you got the imperative to get Bogdan and so, you can't so you, go you, you and You know get what you him, do? Okay. You know what you do? You pick up the phone and you tell them, we just got Bogdan. Don't say Keep anything. Because if this yeah. gets out, the, the, it, it might – the legal charges tampering or whatever. It's not hard. 
But the problem is, it's if that's not your intention. Your intention is to say, look at us. We're the right. smartest right. ever. Oh, my God. We've got the illest thing happening. You guys just say, watch. That's the problem. There's a lot of front offices that get, and I'm not talking about Milwaukee specifically. Maybe they did. Maybe they, I don't know. But I do know this for a fact in this league. There's a lot of front offices that get off on winning the press conference on having the the victory parade and first take and undisputed and all these shows talking about, oh my God, they did it again, right? And that same narcissism or whatever you want to call it is what fuels anger against people like me. Because those same people, and I've heard the stories either first firsthand in dealing with these people or around the way of people like, oh, I can't, I hate that a mean guy, da 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 you guys haven't made the playoffs in a decade. You mad at me because you're trash? But it's because they get off on, what are they saying about us? Oh, my gosh, we're the best. Da, da, da. And if you run your business, your, your basketball operation, with an eye to what are the talking heads saying? Or what are they saying on Twitter? Or whatever. Then you're doomed. The best organization, it's not a coincidence. The best organizations seem to be the ones that don't talk. You just wake up one day. What? Paul Jimmy George for six first-round picks? Yeah, Jimmy Butler is signing in his sign-and-trade with the Miami Heat. You're like, I didn't even know that yeah. that was – yeah, yeah. I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah. The Paul George one is my favorite because, like, I didn't even know he was on the block. Sam Presley traded that dude for six first-round picks. We didn't even know the dude was available. <laughs> That's That, ladies and gentlemen, is how you run a front office right there. And, and San Antonio, which was the, the standard at this, when they let all the quiet stuff out because they were trying to manipulate the message to the media, that's where they fucked up and they ran them out of town. They had just done the San Antonio thing and just keep it quiet and in-house. I think he'd still be there. But that's that's the price you pay. You want to play the flashy game where all the people love you and they're singing your praises, like you are opening yourself up to that risk. And if they had just kept it quiet, They'd be here with one of Giannis's favorite guys in the league, and it's a, it's crazy you say that. I mean, because honestly, and this is all, you know, that's way in the past now. But that Kawhi San Antonio observation you're making, like, I think my entire career, that's the only time I ever got any real insight from the Spurs on anything was that story. You know what I mean? Like, and I remember he he wasn't with the team in the first round when they were playing the Warriors, and I was going to write a column about where's Kawhi. And normally Spurs columns come without anybody from the actual Spurs talking to you. Um, and that was the exception. So I think that's that's spot on. By the way, if, if you guys are curious, of the, the guys who have been drafted 60th overall okay. in NBA history, how many do you think have actually played a minute of NBA basketball? Oh, it's. I'm gonna say. Um, I'm. I don't know the actual now, numbers. Remember, there were there were drafts back in the day that were like nine rounds. Eighty-five percent so, are zeros. But but how many like in a raw number actually laced up and got on the court for at least one minute? In how many years? So like, how many drafts Ever. are we talking? Since 1947. All right, let me see. Let me see what the first draft so let's, was. Let's when call it, it nineteen fifty one was the first draft they had someone uh, with a sixtieth draft with sixtieth draft pick. Right, out so of the seventy, in fifty years in, in or sixty years. So since fifty one, that would be about sixty nine mm-hmm. years. So seventy years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm gonna say of the seventy years, thirteen have played a minute. 
Sam. That's about. I had twelve to fifteen in my head, so I'll, I'll go high. I'll say fifteen. You guys are good. Sixteen. Ooh, Sam with the 16. winner. <laughs> and, by, and he didn't go over. But but. By the way, Isaiah Thomas, amazingly, not the greatest 60th pick of all time. Who is it? Michael Cooper Ooh. was a 60th overall pick. Ooh, cool. And then, mm. depending on how you want to define this, Drazen Petrovic was also a 60th overall pick. It goes by win shares, according to basketball reference. It goes Cooper, Isaiah Thomas, Drazen Petrovic, and then the number four guy is Donnie Butcher. Never heard of him. <laughs> And then the number five guy, this this is really going to crystallize it, Robert Sacre. Wow. Yeah. So, so before Sacre. you you shed tears on the pick that Milwaukee has lost, just, you know, relate, as they say. Sam Amick from The Athletic, uh, thank you so much, man. Thank you for coming. I did not expect to be doing a, you know, an hour on 60th picks, but I think it's an important conversation to talk about. Uh the games, the high stakes games of tampering and trying to secure a long-term deal with a two-time MVP resting on those tampering charges. So uh, Sam Amick, awesome to have you on. Thank you for uh, defending De'Aaron Fox against the the tyrant of Amin El Hassan. Um, <laughs> Is that what I did? Oh, you guys haven't seen, you haven't seen tyrant yet. Oh, the, the, Is that the tyranny threat, I mean? coming. Is that a threat to Sacramento? Oh, I mean, it's not if they win. I guess it is a threat. Yeah. <laughs> Just make sure you let me know when you're when you're hitting gold one. I mean, I need to be there to to uh to share this with the people. I enjoyed my 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 stay at, at Golden One. They uh it's really good food there. I've enjoyed. Um Sam It looks like it looks like a beautiful it's arena. A great arena. Let me just say that. Yeah. Fellas, thank you, Amin El Hassan. Um you can catch him on, on Twitter at Darth Amin. And then your Instagram's the same thing? Darth Amin? Same thing. Okay. And the Jump in Sirius XM8 Radio. All right. Thanks, fellas. I appreciate you. Thank you, guys. Happy holidays.